0: Take a good look at some of the countries in Southeast Asia and again shouldn't be surprised that for example the country as Vietnam, Thailand, Laos and most importantly the nation of the Philippines today are actively growing not only in this political sense but also meanwhile in this economic perspective as well. For so long that those countries are seeking ways to engage themselves with the larger economies, for example, with China and the US. But now today we have to say some countries successfully connected with the larger economies. Of course, we're only in the year of 2023 and there are so many yet to come. But meanwhile, let's take a closer look regarding the country of the Philippines. Uh, given the fact that today, some people say this country has become more democratic than ever. However, historically speaking, do you know that actually the presence of communism, or should we say the communist concept was deeply rooted in this country? And how about today? How should we understand this communist party within the nation of the Philippines? Well, that's our show about today, and again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished guest, which is Dr. Joseph Scalise. Now, again, if you're familiar with Professor's work, he recently came out with a new book, which is entitled The Drama of Dictatorship, Martial Law and the Communist Parties of the Philippines. Well, Professor, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you, Will. I'm glad to be here. Well, Professor, the pleasure is all mine. Now, as we mentioned before, when we talk about the country of Philippines, Geopolitically speaking, we know it's one of the crucial nations located in Southeast Asia. Again, given the fact today, the president is actively seeking relationship with some of the larger economies. However, your book mainly focuses on this communism concept or uh, this communist party present in the Philippines. Help us to understand Why should we pay attention to this matter? And also, what is the history of the Communist Party? Why would you crown the book, or why would you name the book, called The Drama of Dictatorship?
1: That's a great question. So, uh, my research attempts to understand my book deals with how it was that Ferdinand Marcos, senior, Mm. his son, junior, is now president, Mm. was able, in 1972, to set up a dictatorial regime that lasted for a decade and a half, mm. a martial law government. Um, and the answer that I found was very closely connected to the existence of not one but two communist parties. Mm. Um, and the Communist Party in the Philippines has deep roots. Uh, it was founded in 1930 uh, in the early stages of communism in the aftermath of the Russian revolution of 1917. Mm. Uh, Stalin had now firmly taken power in the Soviet Union, uh, had expelled his rivals, most importantly Leon Trotsky, and the founding of the Communist Party in the Philippines thus followed the line that was being established by Joseph Stalin in the Soviet Union. By the late 1960s, however, which is the time of my book, there was not one party but two parties. Mm. And the parties had split. One party in the Philippines, which is known as the PKP, mm was closely tied to the soviet union but the other party the cpp was closely tied to china Mm. and there was thus a geopolitical component to a dispute between two communist parties and we can elaborate more on this but the basic point that i've uncovered in my book is that the two rival communist parties who were deeply opposed to each other Mm. uh, allied to rival sections of the ruling elite the PKP, the Soviet Party, supported Ferdinand Marcos and assisted him in declaring martial law. Mm. But the CPP, tied to China, uh, backed his rivals, in particular a man named Nino Aquino, who has uh, the Aquino dynasty is a similarly very influential one, like the Marcoses, mm. um, and attempted to assist Aquino in taking power. They failed, but it was this that I am terming the drama of dictatorship. Mm.
0: Well, first, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, again, historically speaking, that we know the relationship between the Philippines and China can be traced all the way back. But we know every time within a country, again, it doesn't matter it's a democratic system or it's a communist system or it's a socialist system, whenever there's a rising power or there's a political shift, too often we tend to uh, come up with the word called revolution. Because we know that no party can quietly um, raise this political impact. So there are out to be people and there are out to be voices that, as you mentioned before, Professor, supported the existence. Of communist party within the philippines and back in the days so again help us to understand what was the significance of the impact of the communist party again how wide was the impact and do you think it's fair that we can even today when we look back we still can call it as a revolution because simply you mentioned about the country of china china went through I guess I want to be careful. It's not just one revolution. I think it's multiple under Mao Zedong and again, under multiple leaders. But how about the communism or communist concept in the Philippines? Was it a revolution? If so, how wide or how interruptive was the noise?
1: That is a complicated question because it is historically involved. There's not one but multiple moments, as you mentioned with China, so too with the Philippines. Mm. The Communist Party in the Philippines um, at no point came close to the seizure of power. That is to say, the successful completion of a revolution. But the persistence of the Communist Party really to this day uh, expresses most fundamentally the degree of social inequality Mm. and poverty um, and historical injustice Mm. that a great many uh, of the working masses, peasants, workers, etc., of the country have suffered. And it is this that gives profound political appeal to the line that is promoted by the Communist Party. Mm. Um, Now, my argument is... Uh, And for someone who is, I I would argue, somewhat unfamiliar or has a superficial understanding, this may sound like I'm standing matters on its head. But my argument is that the Communist Party has actually been responsible for preventing and stymieing revolutionary movements in the Philippines. Uh, They have not been the instigators of revolution. They have been the gravediggers of revolution. Mm -hmm. Why is that? The program of the Communist Party of the Philippines, like many Communist parties around the globe, was Stalinist. Mm. And that is to say that in the name of nationalism, they sought to form an alliance with a section of the ruling class, mm. a section of the capitalist class they claimed would be progressive. And they supported this or this individual organization party, uh, most prominently Ferdinand Marcos in 1972. And the function of the Communist Party was thus to take the mass movements of unrest Uh, which were fueled by social inequality and injustice and tied them to the interests of a section of the elite. Mm. And it was in this way that multiple revolutions, as you mentioned, the the contention over what is a revolution and so on, multiple revolutions were ultimately thwarted Mm. as a result of the actions of the Communist Party. Mm. Um, And I think most recently, if I could turn to somewhat contemporary events, um, there was the role of the Communist Party of the Philippines in supporting former President Rodrigo Duterte. Mm. Duterte became president before the newly elected Ferdinand Marcos. And when he ran for office in 2016, he received, on his election, tremendous support from the Communist Party of the Philippines and its founder and leader, Joma Sison, mm-hmm. who declared that Duterte was a socialist, that Duterte would carry out the revolution, mm. uh, the unfinished revolution, et cetera. And in the name of this nationalist perspective, brought a great deal of popular enthusiasm behind a man who ultimately was the head of death squads, Mm. um, the head of um, a drug war that killed 30,000 Filipinos.
0: That's right. Mm. Professor, you know, before our conversation, I actually went online and did a little bit of research. Now, it came to me that I discovered one of the key documents, which is called the Preamble to Constitution of the Communist Party of the Philippines. Now, within the document, it's so interesting and I want to share something with you and and get your reaction on this. Now, based on what the preamble stated and it says the Communist Party of the Philippines, it's a political party of the Filipino working classes, Based on the principle of scientific communism and Marxism-Leninism, it fights for the immediate and basic wants of the workers, peasants, and all elements exploited by capitalists. You know, when we talk about communist or communism, this concept, too often we tend to think about the countries such as North Korea and also, of course, some of the nations in Latin America, you know, etc. It's rather debatable how successful or if those countries can survive under communism. But today, again, when we look at the concept of communism, it's actually running against capitalism or is running against this democratic system. Now, again, historically speaking, was this the same scenario playing out under, uh, again, within the nation of Philippines. So in other words, what were some of the reasons for people to support the existence of Communist Party? Was it because the uh, vulnerability of democratic system, or was it because the unknown factors of the whole socialism? So again, we don't know the fact, but only you know, because you're the expert on that. So again, Professor, Why do you think that the Communist Party was able to collect so many people within the country and able to generate much greater impact?
1: It is precisely because of the sort of language of the preamble that you read. There's a great deal of language like that Mm -hmm. circulated by the Communist Party of the Philippines. It's um, stock phrases, um, but of a sort of a very revolutionary sounding character. Uh, They're basing themselves, uh, they claim, Mm. on the perspective of Marx and Lenin. Uh, They are um, going to overthrow capitalism, Mm. and this actually has tremendous appeal. Uh, It has appeal to all of those who are working dead-end jobs and are paying miserable wages and cannot feed their family. Mm. Only 10% of the Philippine population is compelled to live outside the country to find employment that will sustain their family. Um, this tears apart m- fathers, mothers, husbands, wives. Uh, they're able to see their loved ones two weeks every two years. Mm. Uh, no, one, no one seeks this sort of existence, but it is compelled upon them. Mm. And the idea that uh, capitalism is fundamentally unjust has wide and I think correct resonance with these people. And it isn't antithetical to democracy. The idea that the overthrow of a system predicated on private ownership and profit is antithetical to democracy isn't true. Um, Democracy is about the ability of every person to be able to express themselves freely Mm. and to weigh in on political developments. Mm. Well, when one person has a billion dollars and another person has two... We don't have an equitable social order that can serve as the underpinning for formal equality and democracy. And thus, there is tremendous appeal in the rhetoric of the Communist Party. I think that is that is its great strength. It can point to this past and claim that it is its, but that the history of the Russian Revolution and so on, that this is its heritage. But, and here is the intervention of my book, uh, this is not the reality. Mm. The reality of the Communist Party does not uphold the very logic held out in the preamble the very rhetoric that they use to justify and to win support Mm. when you examine closely their political program they claim that it is not yet time for socialism Mm. socialism is a prospect in the distant future and at present they are fighting for what they call national democracy Mm. national democracy is a form of capitalism This is what they are currently advocating, which requires an alliance with a section of the capitalist class when they call the national bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. And on this basis, claiming to be Marxist, they provide support to traditional politicians and traditional parties with traditional business interests. They form alliances with logging businesses and mining businesses and banks and so on. It's truly extraordinary. They take all of the aspirations and hopes of the disenfranchised and impoverished and chain them once again to the elite. Mm.
0: You know, Professor, again, it's so significant that you kept on using the word called elite, because I know, I mean, again, we know that today, for any countries that when it comes to the word elite, I guess, again, I want to be careful is some people believe that only represents 1% of the population for certain countries. So in other words, when we talk about the people or the decision makers for the country, again, come from different fields and different educational backgrounds, or even we can use the wealth as the measurement. And these people collectively, we call them elites. But now in reality, again, coming back from the historical perspective, we know that U.S., and the Philippines have had a much greater relationship. Again, given the fact that, um, again, if I'm not mistaken, that U.S. government actually liberated the people of the Philippines and uh, from the, uh, the the colonialism of Japan. So, in other words, actually they were uh, they, they ought to be celebratory of the existence of the U.S. government. Otherwise, the whole country will be miserable continuously. But this is my sounds a silly question. But again, professor is. Don't you think that they have already witnessed this whole democratic system and how powerful the country was in order to save them from the miserable situations or save them from this deadlock with a, with a, a nation of Japan? Why? What are the reasons for people to refuse to look upon or look up to this dem- democratic system? Why not? Just find a mutual ground to allow democratic system and communism, a uh, uh, communist party, exist at the same time. Why did the people have to choose one of the other? There's a lot
1: in that question. Let's start with the United States. There is and i would just to put my cards on the table i am an american citizen Mm. Uh, i spent most of my life in the philippines but my passport is a u.s passport Mm. so i hope that gives added weight to what i'm about to say sure uh the role of the united states historically in the philippines has been a particularly brutal one Mm. um the philippines fought an anti-colonial revolution against spain Mm. and successfully overthrew their longtime colonial master mm. and established a, a short-lived republic that had democratic principles it had its own constitution. Unlike the United States in the Philippines at the time, women were given the right to vote. Everyone over the age of 21 without regard to race or sex was allowed to vote mm. um, without property distinctions, etc. And the United States came along and seized the Philippines in the Philippine-American War and crushed the Philippine Republic, Mm. kept the Philippines as a colony for nearly 50 years. Yes, the word liberation is used vis-a-vis the Japanese occupation, and certainly the Japanese occupation of the Philippines was brutal, Mm. and the experience of the removal of the Japanese occupiers was conceived of as a liberation. But the return of the United States was more than just the removal of the Japanese rule. Mm. It was also the reinstatement of American economic privileges. Mm. And the democracy built by the United States from the ground up in the Philippines was not the same spirit as the democracy established by the Filipinos in their revolution against Spain.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: It got rid of trial by jury, for example, which had been a uh, basic democratic conception, uh, it established the right within the Constitution for the President to impose military dictatorship, which Marcos took advantage of in 1972. Mm. So the democracy that was left behind by the United States was always shot through with contradictions. Mm. Now, on the terms of the relationship of people's admiring democracy itself, this is an interesting question. I would argue that democracy has rather deep roots in the Philippines, particularly going back to the Philippine revolution against Spain Mm. and the short-lived Philippine Republic. Such an event that occurred at great cost does not exist or did not occur without leaving deep roots in the country and in its consciousness. Even if people are not entirely aware of that now, it persists, I would argue. Mm. But there was a moment of tremendous and tragic illusion in democracy in 1986. Ferdinand Marcos, who had imposed a dictatorship that he exercised quite brutally and corruptly in the Philippines over the space of a decade and a half, was ousted in what became known as the People Power Revolution of February mm. 1986 and in his stead was installed the democratically elected President Corazon Aquino. Mm. I remember this moment. I was in the Philippines at the time I was a child mm. and there were extraordinary hopes that were placed on the Aquino government and on the restoration of democracy. At long last, all of the pent-up problems of the Philippines would be resolved. Mm. They were not. Uh, Social inequality persisted and exacerbated. The labor diaspora, of which I spoke, grew. Uh, People leaving the country to work as maids in Hong Kong, or construction workers in Saudi Arabia, or factory workers in Taiwan, or nurses in Canada, leaving their homeland so that they could provide enough money to their families. And administration after administration followed, democratically elected in what were fairly corrupt elections, and none of the social ills were addressed. And thus, I would argue there is still a persistent belief that democracy is the best social system, Mm. the best political system, Mm. but it hangs by a thread at this point. The rise of a figure like Duterte or Ferdinand Marcos Jr., these are not democratic figures, Mm. expresses the fact that there is a significant portion of the population that are looking for a populist alternative, and are dangerously turning towards dictatorial figures in hopes that these figures will somehow redeem the social problems. Mm. They will not. But this is this is this is the crisis that Philippine democracy is currently in,
0: Professor. I know you are very busy. Now stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now let's talk about the current president of the Philippines, which, again, you mentioned numerous times, which is the Marcos Jr. We know that previously throughout the election season and during his campaign, despite the fact that he won this election, but however, in reality, back in the days, he was quite a controversial figure. And given the fact that what his father did, and of course that today, Not all of the people in the Philippines, I have to say, the people I talk to and also uh, some of the um, the people outside this country are very concerned about his leadership style. And of course, also you mentioned there is a good possibility or much greater possibility that he could turn the country back into dictatorship style. Now, help us to understand, Professor even though today he is the president, and again, he traveled to multiple countries and you know met with multiple uh, uh, international leaders from China to Japan and to, to Europe, etc. How should we understand his credibility today as a leader? And how much do you think that we should be concerned regarding some of the political or uh, social economic decisions that he made today for the nation of the Philippines? Or are we ready to um, accept this person, even though he's a president? Or is it time for us to find an alternative? Maybe it's early to tell. What do you think? So the, um, the emergence of Burton
1: Marcos Jr. as president is, I will say, as a historian, somewhat shocking. Mm. Um, we've all sort of reconciled ourselves to it at this point. He's been president for a year. That's right. And, uh, and so, or nearly. Uh, and so there is a certain accommodation mentally that is made to the fact that he's president but i have to say it is shocking Mm. viewed with historical hindsight the slogan that resonated across the country of the philippines in 1986 was never again now that wasn't specifically about the marcos family Mm. it was about dictatorship Mm. but dictatorship was bound inseparably with the marcos family. Mm. Now, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. is not responsible for who his parents are. No one is, fortunately. Right. right. We are not. If our parents are guilty of crimes, uh, this is not the fault of the children. Mm. But Ferdinand Marcos Jr. was not a child Mm. during the dictatorship of his parents. He was an adult. He was part of the apparatus of martial law. He was governor of a very significant province. He was part of the armed opposition to the overthrow of his parents. He threatened to blow up the presidential palace at the time. He was culpable in the family's theft of billions of dollars Mm. and has cases pending in courts in the United States. To that effect, And was guilty of human rights violations. This is a man, therefore, who is inseparably bound up with Mm. the martial law regime. Second point. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. didn't campaign for president on the basis of it will all be different now. Mm. I'm a different person. I have a new vision and so on. No. At the heart of his campaign was my parents' rule, my father's rule, uh, was a golden age Mm. in Philippine history. Martial law, the dictatorial regime of my parents, this was the golden age. Everything that came after was a catastrophe Mm. and it was in fact this that secured him a significant portion of the vote there is a tremendous amount of historical ignorance about this period the fault largely of a failure of education in the country the textbooks don't adequately deal with what martial law was Mm. and marcos capitalized on this he capitalized on social discontent and claimed that an earlier period be viewed nostalgically and that he would bring it back. Mm. But that has to be seen as a threat. That isn't just a campaign slogan. If someone says military dictatorship was the golden age in our country history, one has to know, one has to be alert to the possibility that the person putting forward that slogan intends to attempt to reimplement it. Mm. And if we see Ferdinand Marcos Jr. on the world stage, what we've seen is sort of a reorientation of Philippine foreign policy back towards the United States, away from China. Uh, the the declaration that the U.S. would be basing troops in the country, Uh, the bringing of Japanese troops to the country, quite shocking. That hasn't happened since World War II. Um, But if we look at the social program of Ferdinand Marcos, Jr., we see a great many steps that are quite alarming. Uh, In particular, the targeting of political dissent as terrorism Mm. uh, is something that he has adopted, and there is an entire apparatus of the government that is dedicated to effectively persecuting uh, political opponents. Mm. All of these things, I think, point to troubled times ahead Mm. in the Philippines.
0: Well, Professor, I want to wrap up our conversation again by going back to your book, Again, as we mentioned before, I'm sure our audience and listeners and viewers throughout the entire conversation, and I hope and I pray um, the people are become more and more fascinated and more curious about uh, the deeper content that you put in the book. Again, the book is entitled The Drama of Dictatorship. I always asked each author the same question. Of course, Professor, the same question to you is, what do you hope the readers can understand when they finish reading your book. So in other words, for people that who never live in the Philippines and people who don't understand or aren't quite familiar with the martial law or even the Communist Party of the Philippines, when they finish reading your book, what are you hoping that they can come out and they can understand the content that you put in the book?
1: That's a terrific question, thank you.
0: Uh, I hope
1: that they see, as I do, that the material on the martial law dictatorship of 1972 is directly relevant to political problems today not Mm. simply in the philippines but more globally Mm. the rise of right-wing authoritarian populists uh figures like donald trump narendra modi jair bolsonaro rodrigo duterte uh, ferdinand marcos jr there are of course important differences between these figures but they share a common social and geopolitical DNA. Mm. Uh, There is an interconnection here. And my argument in my book is that 1972 in the Philippines was part of a similar global shift. Mm. And that the figures of Suharto, Marcos, Pinochet, all of whom, and others, all of whom turned to authoritarian forms of rule uh, with the backing of Washington uh, in suppressing social unrest, uh that this these parallels can inform our understanding of the world today Mm. and second uh my second thing that i hope they take away from the book is a re-understanding a reinterpretation of what communism or what the communist parties were Mm. my argument about stalinism about the function of the communist party and its relationship to the capitalist class in the philippines has a much broader ramification for rereading the cold war and the history of communism globally and I think read carefully, it can be useful for scholars in other nations and other fields.
0: Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Professor Joseph Scalise. And again, uh, throughout the entire conversation, you can tell how much we have learned throughout his book. And I strongly encourage everyone to go online and to get a copy of Professor's book, which is entitled The Drama of Dictatorship, Martial Law and the Communist Parties of the Philippines. Well, Professor, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. We love to have you back on the show as we continue to pay attention to the political and social changes within the nation of the Philippines and also around the world. And thank you so much for doing this.